Well, what's up, church family? Uh, good to see you. If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to First Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Chapter 3, verse 8. Now, if you're new to our church family, uh, I don't think we've gotten a chance to meet each other, so welcome. Uh, first of all, my name is Marcus, and I am one of the pastors here at City Church. And we've recently gotten back into our uh, uh First Peter series that we started a while back, and the big idea is that as followers of Jesus, we are called to live distinct, influential lives. He, that Peter calls us not to conform to culture, but to live distinctly from it, and, and to not fight culture, but to influence it. And finally, he calls us not to run from culture, but to remain present in it. And in today's teaching, we're actually going to do something a little different um, since this passage is in many ways touching on similar themes that we've already covered the past couple of weeks. We're not going to spend quite as much time go over, going over it all because we've already done that again. We've already done that in the past. And so uh, we will instead briefly unpack it and then give some real life examples followed by some application for us. And so, uh, like I said, First Peter chapter three, verse eight it begins like this. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you recall that you may obtain a blessing. So right here, up until this point, Peter has talked about specific arenas of life where we're called to have this unity of mind and sympathy etc. But now he kind of zooms out, right? He kind of zooms out and says, hey, I'm calling all of us to respond in this way. So whether you're in authority or under, or under authority, whether you are a slave or free, whether you're married or single in college or working, stay-at-home mom or dad or retired or any other stage of life, here's, here's how you should respond to evil, injustice, or mistreatment if you are a follower of Jesus. And hear me say that typically the natural response to any hostility, I'm sure you know, is retaliation, right? You see this a lot uh, via social media these days. You know, one group wrongs another and then the other group decides, hey, like, I'm going to actually retaliate really quickly. Um, and then the cycle kind of continues. Elliot Clark, who wrote Evangelism as Exiles, said it this way. But when we suffer, if our collective Christian tone is complaint... If we constantly lament our loss of cultural influence or social standing, if we weep and mourn as if Jerusalem has fallen when our chosen political agenda is overlooked, then we expose our true values. Those troubling circumstances have a way of unmasking our highest hopes. Sadly, far too often they reveal our hope. Our hopes have actually been in this present age and not in the one to come. So Peter, in contrast to all of, uh, all of those tendencies in us, says when someone reviles you or when someone criticizes you in an abusive or uh, angry, insulting manner, that, that you should have a posture of a follower of Jesus, which is to actually bless them and not repay them for evil. And then he says, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. So as followers of Jesus, we, we were called to bless others or uh, speak well to others, right? And, and that uh, by doing so, that we would look like Jesus. 
And as we bless, the hope is that the cycle that we were talking about earlier, that that cycle uh, uh, would stop. Now, it may take a while, but the hope is that it stops the violence, that it stops the bloodshed, that it stops all manners of evil. And even if it doesn't, we are still called to endure peaceably and not return evil at the very least so that we can inherit our blessing and not turn down the path of evil. There's a, a powerful quote from Dr. Martin Luther King that sort of kind of hits those same notes and kind of sums it up really nicely. Is he says this, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. So next, Peter is actually going to uh, uh, get at this same point, but this time is going to reference a psalm from the Old Testament to kind of drive it home a little bit for us. So verse 10 says this, For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So Peter uses his passage from Psalm 34, 12 through 16, to kind of continue to highlight what he was trying to say. It's a really good chapter overall if you have uh, kind of have the time to read it today or tomorrow. But in, in many ways, this part of the psalm actually reads like a proverb, right? It says, if you desire to love and see good days as an exile, then here's what you should do. Keep your tongue from evil and deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. See, as, as followers of Jesus, we must refuse to use our words to harm people. No matter how great the temptation is, we should seek peace and pursue it. And just in case you were wondering, it says the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. See, Peter offers this psalm without clarification. In other words, he is implying that the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, period. doesn't matter if you are responding to their evil, God is still against any form of evil. Let's continue. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. So here Peter is uh, kind of summing up the psalm we just read, and he says to, to be zealous for doing what is good. And he says that even if you were to suffer, you will be blessed. Now, I'm sure he's both getting this from the psalm passage that we just read, but I, I would imagine he's also hearkening back to uh, what Jesus said, similar to, uh, uh, similar to this in Matthew 5, verses 9 through 12. It says this, Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. In our daily devotional this past Monday, Sarah kind of mentioned that, that peacemakers and peacekeepers are not the same thing. That a peacekeeper just does their best to not rattle any cages or rock any boats or anything like that. But that a peacemaker actually enters into the midst of strife. They, they enter into the midst of pain and suffering and injustice and all of that, and they fight for peace. 
Let's continue. For they will be called children of God. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Love that passage. Let's continue in First Peter. It says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you, for a reason for the hope that is in you yet do it with gentleness and respect so in this verse peter kind of lays out uh, one of the primary ways that he thinks people in our society should hear about jesus we might actually put them in three steps step one live differently as followers of jesus step two let that raise questions in people when they see it and step three be ready to explain why that is to them That, in Peter's mind, is one of the primary ways people in our world should hear about Jesus. And if we were to kind of put that in a Christianese term, we we might call that an evangelism strategy. Now, there are plenty of evangelism strategies out there. Some of them are goofier than others. And oftentimes, they're usually disconnected from any relationship uh, the person you're sharing Jesus with. So you kind of see it in the WWJD bracelets, right? Or the Avenger Cube. Yes, Avenger Cube, Evangelism and Cube. There, that is a thing that you can buy on Amazon right now. Or cheesy t-shirts, right, that say things like, Virginity Rocks, Matthew 5. Who knew? Uh, the truth is, is that Christians have come up with all sorts of evangelism strategies over the years. And hear me say, my goal is not to knock them. I know a lot of people have actually come to know Jesus through those means. Well, minus the Virginity Rock shirt. Uh, But whatever evangelism strategies we gravitate towards, I think one strategy we absolutely cannot neglect is what Peter lays out here, right? Peter is saying that as believers, we must give people a regular glimpse into our lives. And, and in our lives, what they should see is a distinctiveness. Because Jesus was distinct, we also should be distinct. And from there, we should, we should be prepared to make a defense when people see Christ in us and ask, him, uh, ask about him. Does that make sense? So, so we should give them a window into our lives. We cannot divorce all evangelism from real life-on-life relationships. Let me say that one more time. We cannot divorce all evangelism from real life-on-life relationships. I believe that, that the more we live our lives as followers of Jesus, turning from evil and doing good, blessing those who harm us, living distinct lives of hope throughout it all, I believe that that will uh, lead people to ask questions precisely because it is so different from how the world responds around us. And that will lead us to be able to defend why we hope this way. All these instructions are aimed at embodying hope in front of a watching world, which they will eventually become curious about. Let's continue. Verse 16 says this, Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, Peter says, hey, 
You're going to be slandered. It's going to happen. Those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So, so people will revile your good behavior, apparently, and how you respond will evidently put them to shame. But why? Why is that? Verse 17, it says, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. There's our passage. As, as we said, if you've been with us during uh, this series, there is nothing necessarily all that new or novel um, about these verses that we just read, right? But Peter is, he's kind of echoing what he's been saying throughout this entire letter. And part of the reason I wanted to kind of walk through it so quickly is because the concept itself is not all too complex. Turn from evil and do good. It's a pretty fallible concept in theory. And I think the difficulty is not so much understanding what Peter says, right, but, but desiring to do it. So I, I wanted to uh, walk through some historical examples of when people have done this. Sometimes uh, when a concept is so foreign to us, what we need most is someone to put some skin on it, right? So we need some inspiring examples of when it's actually been done well to kind of move us in the right direction. So let me, let me give you a few. First up, Martin Luther King. We talked about MLK a few times during the series, but he truly embodied returning evil for good. His days as a civil rights leader saw him lead peaceful protests after peaceful protests in the midst of full-on hatred and racism. He did this so regularly to the point that someone actually uh, who, who observed him called him Jesus Jr. Because he was so consistently, uh, because he so consistently embodied who Jesus was in this regard. Let me give you another one. The Charleston Nine. In 2015, many of us heard about Dylan Roof uh, walking into a Bible study of one of the oldest black churches in the U.S. and killed nine African Americans. It was a horrific time in our country, but one of the most beautiful things actually come out of this was one of the victims saying, I forgive you and my family forgives you. And then he said, but we would like you to take this opportunity to confess and to repent, to Offer your life to Christ, to the one that matters most, and change your ways, and you will be okay. Matter of fact, you will be better off than you are right now. Now, apparently, uh, Dylan Roof was reported as saying that he boasted to his friends uh, that he was uh, about to kill a bunch of people, but later confessed to the police that he almost didn't go through with it because everyone was so nice to him. Imagine uh, loving someone so obviously and steadily that even the person that wants to kill you because of your skin color goes, they were such nice people. That is exactly what Peter is talking about here. That even when people speak evil against you for any reason, they are silenced because of your love and posture towards them. So next up, uh, some would call this the Amish Massacre. In 2006, a man named Charles Roberts went into an Amish schoolhouse and randomly killed five girls and then killed himself. Afterwards, while the Roberts family was still coming to grips with the, the reality that their husband, dad, and son had done this horrific act, the Amish decided to comfort them throughout it all. They extended forgiveness when uh, it seemed like none of that would actually happen. They even set up a charitable fund for the Roberts family. So, so this, this is what we are talking about when, when Peter says, return evil for good, return evil for blessing. Not only did they forgive, but they also blessed the Roberts family immensely. 
Now, the reason they could do that is because the Amish tradition is filled with stories of martyrs, including Jesus himself. That they believe that foregoing vengeance does not undo the tragedy, but it does constitute a first step towards a more hopeful future. All right, hear me say, most of us will not uh, uh, be in these types of situations if we're being honest, right? But even so, we will encounter situations where our roommates will say something that is meant to hurt us. Or our spouse may, some, may say something that uh, intentionally gets under our skin, that intentionally is meant to cut us. Or maybe a coworker gossips behind your back, or a professor makes a side comment or remark towards you in front of the whole classroom. So on some level, you will probably encounter a few situations like these in our everyday lives. Now, I'll let you in on a little secret. Those situations, the the everyday situations, are the proving ground for situations like the Charleston Line, like MLK, like the Amish School. If you've ever wondered if you would have the faith, the, the ability to respond with mercy and with grace, even when the horrific happens, I'll just go ahead and tell you, if, if you can't respond to your roommates with good, if you can't respond to your spouse with good, if, if they do evil towards you, you probably won't be able to do that when the stakes are higher. If you can't respond to your coworker or your professor's, your professor's evil with good, you probably won't be able to do that when the stakes are higher. See, every day, we may not be faced with situations like the Amish community or the Charleston Nine were, but we are likely faced with some type of scenario that is an opportunity to practice this posture that Peter kind of hits us with. And as you turn toward blessing, and the more you do it, the easier it will become. We, we talk a lot about this at City Church. Uh, a central piece of how we change is through our habits, the things we do over and over and over again. So here's how that works. Responding with evil with blessing won't be easy at first. It just won't. But, but don't wait until it feels right. Right? Don't wait until it feels right to do it. Don't wait till your heart is in it 100%. Choose to respond to evil with blessing, even if it doesn't feel right to you. Because if you do that day in and day out over time, this will create a heart posture that does it more naturally. And the motivation for it all, as always, is Jesus himself. When, when he was on the cross being mistreated, reviled, executed, Hated all those things. What came out of his mouth was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Not reviling, but forgiveness and blessing. See, that is the model we are given for how we should live as well. And if we do that consistently, then, then that will raise questions and lead us to an opportunity to talk to them about who Jesus is and the hope that he brings. And that church family is what we are shooting for. That, that is what we are wanting to do. Um, let's pray. Dear Holy Father, uh, thank you for today. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you so much for uh, the opportunity to be able to talk to our church family. I pray that this is uh, uh, going to be a sweet thing for them. And I pray that, Lord, um, that as situations come up, as situations when uh, uh, people do evil to us, that you would send your spirit that you would uh, fill us up to be able to do good in those moments and not to retaliate or have the temptation to retaliate. 
Lord. And I pray that uh, in those moments that we would be able to bless them, not only not return evil, but actually bless them, to be able to speak well of them when people speak uh, uh, evil against us, Lord. And all along, Lord, I pray that those moments lead to opportunities for each of us to be able to speak your name uh, when questions are raised about the whole situation, Lord. I pray that these moments are able to lead people to you, to, to lead them to a point to where they want to know who you are and why people act in such a way. Again, thank you, Lord, for your love. Amen.